Mother's Day is always tough when you're preaching because there's so many different people that you have to cover anytime you're teaching and preaching. And so then when you talk about a Mother's Day deal, you realize that some, you know the one thing we all have in common is we had a mother, right? So we can all start there. We had common ground. But we have people in here who are mothers. We have people who aren't. We have people like me who are, you know, I'm not a mother. Uh, and... Uh, so, you know, you're trying to cover all the bases, and you realize there's a lot of emotions, both like Cammie said, there's emotions that are, that, are, that are happy and encouraging, and then there's emotions that are really raw and tough and hard. And so <clears throat> this morning, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to talk about basically just the idea of children. And I understand that, that there are some of you here that you have children, and there are some of you that don't, and there's... Some of you that uh, are like me, your kids are out of the house now, and maybe you're in that new grandparent thing like we are, and, and, and there's just all kinds of different people. But, but I want us to understand when we talk about this this morning, that what we're talking about is the ability to impact the kids, the children around us. Because whether you realize it or not, this morning when you, the, all these little kids sat up here, what I understand and what I recognize is I've been here long enough to remember that the kids sitting up here are now kids that are out of college now and are into their careers. That the kids who now stand up here and, and are, are, are doing worship and, and leading prayer and things like that, they're the kids who once sat on this little platform up here. Actually, it wasn't this platform. It was the old one. And so, you know, I recognize that it is our job, not just as parents, but as a church, to realize every day that you walk in here, every Sunday you walk in here, you have the opportunity to impact these kids that we see all around us. And so I want to talk to us this morning, I'm going to talk a lot about parents, but I'm talking to us as a whole, as a group, on our opportunity and our responsibility and our privilege to be able to have that kind of impact um, on the kids that you see running around here this morning. So with that in mind, um, I, I'm going to go to a passage in the Old Testament, a very, very important passage, probably one of the most important passages in all the Bible. It was, it was given by, from Moses, and it was given to the children of Israel. And we're going to look this morning at what is known as the Shema of the Old Testament. But before we get there, so you've got to bear with me. I'm going to read two fairly long passages in Deuteronomy, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about them. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 first, and here's what it says. This is Moses talking to the children of Israel. And he said, Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Especially concerning the day that you stood before the Lord God in, he, in Horeb. When the Lord said to me, gather the people, I'll let them hear my words. They may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. That they may teach their children. And he goes on. Next one, guys. Nope, oh, nope. Oh. We welcome you this morning. Uh, no. <clears throat> then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire in the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and darkness. And the Lord spoke to you in the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of his words, but you saw no form. You heard only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them to you on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time 
to teach you the statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. Moses said, look, don't forget when God gave us the commandments, when I taught them to you, when we've lived them all out, because that's what you need to do now. And then he goes on. Listen to uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord of God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command you. This is what we learn in Ecclesiastes. Is this not what Solomon said? Fear God and keep his commandments. And he says, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now he gets to what we know as the Shema. Listen to what it says. The next verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your God, with your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is a very, very important passage to a Jewish person. A Jewish person reads this, recites this every day. On at least two occasions. Every time they gather in synagogue, they recite this. Um, if you ever go to a uh, Jewish house, you will see one of these on the doorpost. This is called a mezuzah. Uh, I bought this when I was in Israel. Many Jewish people will touch this every time they enter their house or every time they leave their house. When I purchased, I don't remember how much I paid. I paid like 25 bucks for this or something like this. But, I wanted the Shema inside because every Jewish mezuzah has a Shema inside, okay? Which is, in Hebrew, which is the, the, the Deuteronomy chapter 6. And they put this in there, and every Jewish home, they, when they get ready to leave, they touch it or any time they enter the door. If you go to Israel and you go to a Jewish, uh, and you go to many of the, the hotels or motels there, there's one on every door. Uh, that you can touch uh, before you go in. Uh, interesting story. When I bought this, this was like 25 bucks, and, I want, and it didn't come with the Shema inside. So I went to our guide, and I said, hey, mine, you know, they ripped me off. You know, Jewish people, they ripped me off. And he said, <laughs> he said, no, they didn't rip you off. He said, you have to buy the Shema. And I said, okay, so how much is the Shema? Now, again, I, I don't remember all the prices back then, but to give you perspective, this is like 25 bucks. He said, the Shema is $100. I said, excuse me? I said, it's a little rolled up piece of paper. He said, no, 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 no. It's the word of God. And the word of God has far more value than a piece of metal. And he said, and that Shema has been blessed by the priest. That's why it's 100 bucks. Because he said, they value the word of God so highly. And I didn't know how to ask this, but I figured out a way to ask this. I said, well, I'm a cheap American. <laughs> and it's still a piece of paper to me. And they said, oh, you can buy a Gentile Shema for a buck. I went, that's the one I want. <laughs> so I have a very expensive mezuzah with a dollar Shema in it that hasn't been blessed by the priest. But nonetheless, it's in Hebrew. Um, but, you know, it was a significant point to me that that's how highly they value the word of God. 
that it has far more value than metal or something like that. So it, it was an important principle. It was a great lesson for me. But that is what Moses is saying. He's saying, look, you need to understand the value of and the opportunity that you have with these kids. And so that's kind of what I want to address this morning. I want to kind of walk through it a little bit, and I want to talk about the thing. One of the things that he says is, is, is he commands us to not forget what God has done. I think that's where we have a problem today, is that we, we forget. And the older we are, I think the more we forget. But, you know, it used to be, it used to be, until, until the invention of radio, families sat around and talked at the end of the day. And then radio came into play, and then people would sit around the radio, and they would listen to the stories. And then TV came along, and we'd sit around, and we'd let other people tell us stories, and we watched that. And now we're in a culture where the Internet has taken place of that. And unfortunately, your, your family may be like mine, with my wife and I. I mean, I, I noticed it last night, you know. Here we are, we're watching TV. She has our iPad, I have my iPad, and we're sitting there and, and, and doing a couple things all at the same time. And it's like, you know, that's the culture in which we live. And one of the problems with that is we're not telling the stories anymore. One of the problems with that is we're not sharing with one another, interacting with one another, telling our kids about the stories. You go, oh, my kids don't want to hear the stories. It's not about whether your kids want to hear your stories. The kids need to hear the stories. And I know one of the things that, that, that's easy for us as a church is to forget the stories here. And we don't want to do that because, you know, Moses said, look, you've got to tell them the story. You tell them what happened. You tell them what it was like to stand there and hear the voice of God and watch the cloud and get the Ten Commandments and how valuable and important they were. You tell them what it was like to live in Egypt. You tell them how hard it was so that when they get in the land flowing with milk and honey, they value it and they appreciate it. And I think one of the things that we've got to get back to is we've got to get back to telling the stories. He also talks in here about the Lord our God is one. That's the first part of the Shema, and that is so important. With God at the center of it, it starts with God. And I think we forget that sometimes. You know, we're in a culture where we can talk about just about anything with people. But all of a sudden we get to God and it's like, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Oh, I don't want to say anything that, that, that might. Uh, but yet, I mean, no offense, but we let everybody else say whatever they want, regardless of whether or not it offends us. And then we get worried about saying something that might offend them. And I think, again, I'm not talking about being tactless. But I'm saying we're, we're in a culture where we're so, as Christians, we become so afraid to even mention the name God. And, and with our kids or, 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 or their friends, it's like, oh, you know, that's such, a, that's such a negative thing sometimes. And we've got to get to the point that it's just a normal part of our life about what God's doing and how God's at work. He talks in here about the idea of you have to teach. That's interesting when you look at the, at the passage. It's this idea of, if you haven't figured it out yet, in order to teach, that means you're going to have to spend time. And we're in a culture which emphasizes quality time over quantity time. I'm going to be as nicely as say as I can about that. That'd be fine as long as you can always predict when the quality time was. But here's what I find. 
I find that quality time comes at all different times, and the only way that you can jump on it is if you have quantity time. The best times that I've had with my kids have been times that we never planned. You know, some of our best discussions have been working on a car or painting something or remodeling something. Some of our worst discussions have been when we were remodeling something or fixing something. You know, but it, it comes in the context of saying, you go, well, I just don't have it. No, 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 it's about priority time. Listen to this. Socrates said this. And this so this was 2,000 years ago. Listen to what he said. Over 2,000 years ago. He said, if I could climb to the highest place in Athens, I would lift my voice and proclaim, fellow citizens, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth and take so little care of your children to whom one day you must relinquish it all. Understand what he's saying? He's saying, why are you spending so much time to acquire stuff? And in the end, you're not spending any time with your kids. But in the end, you're going to take all that stuff you've acquired, and who are you going to give it to? Your kids. Give them something that's really of value. Something that will far outlast you, your time. Give them something that really matters for eternity. That's what Socrates said thousands of years ago. And I think what we've got to do is we've got to get back to the idea that, look, our homes, our conversations, our places are spiritual. You and I, you've got to realize this, you are teaching all the time. That's what he said here. He said, when you, look at all the contrast. When you sit, when you walk. When you go to bed, when you get up. When you go to work, outside the gate, inside the gate. When you come home. You are constantly teaching your kids. We are constantly teaching the kids here. Constant. You understand, and, and this is a little thing, but this is an important thing. Do you understand that the way you treat kids in church, you're teaching them something about church? You know, there's some churches, like for instance, it's like, Oh, kids should not run in church. Kids need to be quiet and respectful in church. Kids need to be, we need to be, and if you haven't figured it out yet, we kind of say, you know what? We want the kids to learn all of that stuff, but we also understand they're kids. And so I don't have a problem with somebody with, a, with, with somebody going, my kids have fun at church. And depending on how we do this building, they could have a lot of fun. Because uh, we're about ready for at least a little while to give them a 6,000 square feet to go, bye! Uh, you know, so who knows what. But again, that's part of it. That's all part of the process of it. Why? Because we want them involved. That's why, you want to know what? In doing this building thing, you should know this. All the people who did this church before, all wanted it hired done. Every one of us wanted it hired done until we sat and thought about it. And we started to realize that, you know what? It was an opportunity to invest in the lives of people here and our kids. And we all changed our minds. And you know why we changed our minds? 
because we realized it wasn't about the building. It was about the opportunity that we give to a whole new generation of kids here to experience God at work. And we thought it's not worth it to just let somebody else come in, build it all, and then we just show up and enjoy it. And one of the big changing things in our minds was the idea of giving that opportunity to people. We believe that you as parents, you're the primary spiritual influence in the lives of your kids. It's not our job as a church to be the primary influence. Nothing wrong with this. There's churches that do this. But there's certain churches that when kids get a certain age, they have like a confirmation thing for them. And what they do is they take the kids aside and they teach them all the spiritual stuff and then the kids go, go on with that. And that's fine. That has a place in it. For some kids, they take that very seriously and they come from homes where all of those principles are enforced. But in a lot of situations, you know what it is? Mom and dad are out doing their thing. It's time for confirmation class. Let's send the kid to confirmation class. The kid learns all the things that they're supposed to do, but none of it's being backed up at home because it's the church's job to teach the kids spiritual stuff. That's not what we believe. We believe it's your job. We believe you're the primary. All we are is a secondary voice. All we are is a support system. All we are are the people who will give you tools, who will back up your message. We want to be that second voice. We want to be that voice that when you're telling your kid all week long, look, you need to clean up your room, you need to clean up your room, you need to clean up your room. They come to church, you know what they hear? Hey, you need to listen to mom and dad, clean up your room. (laughs) That's our job. Our job is to be in the background reinforcing everything you're telling that kid. Because you and I, we're on the same page in trying to help those kids. It's not the idea that you as a parent can live however you want, and then you come in here and you go, now you listen to the pastor. You listen to that Sunday school teacher, because when we go home, none of that matters. I mean, that's not what we're after. We want to be that second voice. We want to, by the way, that's why it's so important. <clears throat> you know, I talked about this idea of loving God. Look, your kids know what you love. They know what's important to you. I watch it all the time. I watch kids start rooting for the team that mom and dad rooted for. I watch him go to the college mom and dad went to. I watch him go into career fields that mom and dad went, were in. Because they have an influence. You have that influence. Your kids know what you love. I think the greatest tribute any of your kids could ever give you is to put the name godly in front of father or mother. I think it's the greatest tribute you can get from your kids is, I had a godly mom. I was fortunate. I had a godly mom. And I had a godly father. They were not perfect. They had plenty of flaws. And I knew them all. Okay? I did. And I inherited some of them. <clears throat> and I would love to say it's all their fault. Um, that's how you go on the shows, the talk shows. It was my parents. But it wasn't your parents. It was choices that you made. But the bottom line is, those of you who were like me, who had godly parents, much more is required of us. Because we were given much. We were given much. And I'm fortunate because, you know, we are a fourth, fifth generation Christian family. And that's rare. And that, that's an incredible privilege. And for some of you, you're a first generation. You're just kind of trying to undo all of the stuff before you came to Christ. But what a great, what a great thing to be able to pass down to your kids of those Christian values. And you're changing it 
for generations to come. He talks in here about the idea that you're constantly teaching it all the time. And if you haven't figured it out, your kids, your grandkids are learning. And you know as well as I do, if you've ever had kids, or if you've ever been around kids, they pick up everything. And I can already see it in my granddaughter, because she's just constantly just taking it all in everywhere. And I'm like, buddy, good luck. Good luck. You know, uh, good luck, because she's taking it all, all in. But you've got to realize you're teaching about money. You're teaching about marriage. You're teaching about communication. You're teaching about work ethic. You're teaching them about dress. You're teaching them about entertainment. You are constantly modeling stuff for them, and they are all watching all the time. And that's what, that's what Moses is saying. He's saying, you've got to realize that. When you get up in the morning, they're watching. When you go to bed at night, they're watching. When you sit down at the end of the day, they're watching. When you get up to go do something, they're watching. And Solomon says, the whole time, you need to understand, it, they're teaching opportunities for you. Incorporate everything you can into those moments and, and, and those kinds of time. Use everything. In. This is what Jesus does. Think about it for a minute. Every time you see Jesus, he's taking everyday, normal situations and turning them into a spiritual discussion. He's going to get a drink of water at a well, and the next thing you know, he's talking to somebody about God. He's bringing God into it. He's sitting there teaching, and somebody walks up and goes, hey, that little kid's getting a little noisy. I'm going to go take them from you. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to talk. Let me tell you about children now. He's walking alongside. There's a guy out there sewing. He goes, hey, let me tell you a story about the sower. Let me tell you about it. He's constantly using everyday, ordinary, common kind of thing to be able to teach people. And God says, and, and Moses, and God says, look, that's what I want you to do. I want you to be real. I want you to be authentic with this thing. I want you to be able to really hammer this thing home because they will take notice. If you were to belong to a Jewish home on Shabbat, on Friday night for, before Sabbath, what we know as Sabbath, we call it Shabbat, Here's what would happen. At some point in the evening, either dad or dad and mom, or in some case dad does this with the sons and mom does this with the daughters, but they start with a prayer for each kid. The prayer goes something like this. May you be like Ephraim and Manasseh, if it's a boy. If it's a girl, they say, may you be like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, or Leah. May God bless you and guard you. May God show you favor and be gracious to you. May God show you kindness and grant you peace. It usually ends that prayer at some point with kissing or hugging that child. There there's, involves a meaningful touch. And many families, what will happen is the mom or the dad will whisper into the ear of the child and tell them something they're proud of or something they're glad that they did this week. So you think about this for a minute. A Jewish child in a traditional Jewish Orthodox home every single week has mom and dad saying, look, I'm in your corner. I, I want what's God's best for you. I want you to know. I want God to just, just bless the socks off of you. And you know what? Hey, come here. I saw how hard you worked on that test this week. Nice job. Every week. Do you know that in some Jewish homes, even after the child has left home, the parents will call on the phone on a Friday night and give them a blessing. Their biggest cheerleaders are mom and dad. 
And I think we're missing that in our culture. Because our kids get beat up a lot. And we got a lot of people picking at them and tearing them down and stuff like that. But they need to know we're their biggest cheerleader. And let me give you a caution here. Cheerlead and encourage the right things. One of the mistakes that I think is happening in our culture is this. We're cheerleading our kids, but we're cheerleading our kids for the wrong stuff. Now, now hear me out completely when I say that. But we have a kid who does well academically, and they get the A on the test, or they get the top honors that's going to hand out at the end of the year, and we go, hey, nice job on that. Yay! And we encourage the skill. Or they do well in sports, and maybe their team, and they get the most valuable whatever, whatever this, and we cheer them on and say, yeah, 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 great, and we encourage the skill. Or they play, and we talk about, uh, you know, hey, how well you played that instrument, or how well you sang that solo, or how well you did on the stage in the theater, and we applaud the skill. And here's what happens when you do that. What you do is you're teaching that kid that as long as they perform, add a boy. And the danger of that is there's going to come a point in their life when they can't perform, when that, that, that academic challenge is too hard, or they don't make that special team that they were after, or they don't hit the top of the limit for their thing. And they're really going to struggle at that point with approval from mom and dad. Some of you who are older know exactly what I'm saying, because you're living for the approval of a mom and dad. In some case, the, a mom and dad who are gone, who could never give you that approval because they're not here, because you never heard that. Be careful about applauding the skill. Applaud instead the character that was required for that skill. Because, see, that doesn't change. See, when I come up to a kid and go, hey, look, I appreciate all the hard work you put in. Because I know how hard you worked to pass that class and do the best you could in that class this year. Now it doesn't matter if they got the A or if they got the C. I'm applauding the character. Hey, I appreciate how much you stuck with your team, even though your team had abandoned all the stuff the coach said. I appreciate your teamwork. You know, I'm even trying to do this to my daughter, daughter-in-law right now. I mean, not daughter-in-law. I got those two, but my granddaughter. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to look at her, even now, as young as she is, and figure out character issues. See, if I go around talking about how cute she is, and she's cute, but there's coming a point that she's not going to be cute anymore, okay? No, I mean, not, okay. Well, I'm not going to go up to her at 30 and say, honey, you are so cute. Um, there's going to come a point that cute doesn't work anymore. Why? Because that's a outward thing. You know what? I can already start talking about how her smile and giggle light up a room. Am I making sense now? You see what I'm talking about? And, and we have to be careful of that because we're in a culture which we applaud kids. You don't want to get me started here. We applaud kids for showing up. Really? You know, I showed up all week and did my work. Nobody said, oh, hey, congratulations, you came to work today. Here's a, here's a ribbon. <laughs> Applaud the right things. Cheer the right things, you know. 
We're in a culture where we've got to realize that. And I think we've got to be really careful because we need to be their biggest cheerleader. We need to be the ones every week that are blessing them for what God is doing and how God is working and what the things that we see in their lives. And I challenge you along those lines. So here we go. Wrap it up. Number one, love God with everything you got. Your kids need to see somebody who loves God. They need to be able to walk in here every week and see people who love God. That's one of the greatest legacies we can leave. They need to see moms and dads who love each other. I think one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is a mom and dad who are madly in love with each other. I'm just telling you right now. And I think we've got to realize that, you know what? We're teaching. We're constantly teaching. And I think, you know, to me... You know, one of the things I tried to leave with my kids is the idea of there's nobody I love more in this world than your mom. You know, everything else is incidental. Because I want to pass on that idea of, you know what, I love that woman with everything I got. I love God with everything I've got. And I'm going to make God a priority in my life and everything. That's what I want to leave behind. And I just want to challenge you with this idea of, you know what? You've got to ask your kid, yourself, look, as people look at me, do they see a love for God in all that I do? When I go to work, when I'm home, when I'm walking, when I'm sitting, when I'm laying down, when I'm getting up, do they see that? Secondly, you've got to start teaching your kids this book. Okay? Now, I'm going to be honest with you here. I think in some ways, culture and Christianity and even us as a church have failed you here. Because one of the things that we want to do is give you tools to be able to do that. So I'm changing that today, all right? I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it in a second. We know that reading to kids and, 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 and helping kids understand this, and I know that many of you, you, you came to Christ later in life, so you don't know the Bible stories, or you weren't brought up in a church that told you the Bible stories and those kinds of things. So I understand that dynamic that's happening. My preaching over the years has had to change, because in the past, I could assume that people knew the Bible stories, and that's not true anymore. We've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from the Sunday school and the Bible stories and all those kinds of things. So here's what we're doing today. Okay, um, We have for you... Um, and I'm trying to figure out what an appropriate age is, so you're just going to have to help me out here. I'm thinking like right now, fourth or grade or below. This is Edgar Meyer's Bible storybook. This thing has been around forever. It's like six million copies in print. It has 302 Bible stories in it, two pages. Each, each story is like two pages long. If you have a kid this morning, I don't know, fourth grade or whatever else, if you'll read this to your kid, I don't care if they're college age, uh, if you'll sit down and, and believe me, you laugh, you laugh, you will learn stuff in here. This morning I flipped open and I'm like, I forgot all about that story. That's an awesome story about Elijah and the school of the prophets. I'm like, this is an awesome story. So here's the deal. We have it for you today. It's not like I'm going to, you know, charge you, you know, $19.95 and then we'll do it. No, no, no. We have it for you. And in the front of it, here's what we have. We have this gift from the church with the Jewish blessing to children and Deuteronomy chapter 6 in it, okay? And we are going to give it to you, and all we want you to do is start reading it to your kids. Once we get that all done and we get everybody covered after a couple of weeks, then you know what my next step is? I'm doing it with grandparents. 
okay? Because we want to be able for these kids and you and me and all of us to know the stories. And we want you to be able to teach the Word of God to your kids and instill it in the life of your kids, and it will be great for you as well. So that's one of the things that we're doing today is, is we want to, to make this a watershed moment, a monument, whatever you want to call it, where we are doing it. And then from here on out, we already said this. Anytime we have a child dedication, we're giving them to a parent um, as, as a way to say, okay, you know, this is what your commitment is, and this is what we're going to help you do. We want you to start teaching. We want you to start living it. We want you to start knowing it. And then the last thing is, is, is this idea. We want you to start sharing a blessing and your stories with the kids that we have here. A simple thing. Some of you, there are kids in this church that you have seen running around. They're not your kids. They're some other kid. Somebody else's kid. But you've noticed something about them. Tell them. Tell them. Let them be able to walk in this place and let them know their biggest cheerleaders are here. The people who love them and care about them and want the best for them are right here. Not out there, they're here. They're in their home, they're in their church, they're the people who are saying, look, I'm glad you're here. And you know what? I've noticed this about you. You know, um, I don't want to scare him. I don't want to scare him, but I'm going to scare him. I'm sitting up here this morning watching Cammie do the children's sermon and watching Cooper read the thing. And I'm, th- I'm si- honestly, I'm sitting here going, wonder how young it would be too young to let him preach a message. Because I got news for you. Five minutes with him up here, I'm not even going to preach. I'm just going to go home. (laughs) Right or wrong? Is that not our job here? Yeah, it's about mothers today, but it's about all of us. We have a tremendous responsibility. We have a tremendous opportunity. We have a tremendous privilege to raise up a whole new generation that knows the stories, that has seen authentic Christians live it out in front of them, that has a group of believers who are cheerleading them and encouraging them and telling them how, how, how important it is for them and, and how blessed they are to have them here. We have an opportunity to impact a tremendous generation. As long as we don't get too hung up on ourselves. And as long as we realize what we need to do. So I want to challenge you today. Psalm 145 says this. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. They shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I will declare your greatness. They shall put forth fame and abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and is mercy over all he has made. I close with this. We're reminded. 
that we have a responsibility to the next generation. Every day we're teaching and impacting the kids and people around us. The greatest legacy we can leave them is a person who loved God with their heart, their soul, and their mind. They need to see Christ in all we say and do this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us so, so much. Now help us to be good stewards of it. Help us, Lord, to understand our role and to honor you in the way, Lord, that we live our lives, not just for you, Lord, but for the impact of those around us, that they might be able to see Christ in us and uh, use it in our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen.